Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. Welcome to 7 Million Bikes, a Saigon podcast, season 4. I'm so excited to finally be able to say that. It's been a long time coming. Apologies to anyone who's a regular listener who's been waiting for the next season. And if you're listening for the first time, then I hope you enjoy the show and I hope you can come back and listen to future episodes and all the past episodes uh, anywhere you can find your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. You can go on the 7millionbikes.com website as well. If you do enjoy the show, uh, then please go on Apple Podcasts, leave a review. Hopefully it'll be a good one, but if it's a bad one, that's fine as well. Um, Leave a review on the Facebook page as well. Let us know what you think of the show. It's always good to hear from people. This year has obviously been an absolutely insane year for every single person on this planet, I would say. Um, And that's contributed to the delay in podcasting this year. What happened was back in February pre pre kind of pandemic, I was lining up season, what would have been season three, I had guests lined up, and if you've heard the episode with Francis Fraser Reed, which we released on the, the birthday of 7 Million Bikes, that was due to be season three, episode one, we'd recorded it in a nice studio, we'd got some um, support from Waves, and I was really excited to, to get season three out, 
Then, if you've listened to what became season three, I ended up in quarantine after an ill-fated trip overseas, just as the pandemic was breaking. If you want more details on that, I'm not going to go into it now, but go back, there's a few episodes <clears throat> which became season three. Um, that we recorded live from quarantine, or not live, but straight from quarantine. Um, and so that was an interesting experience, not doing a, a usual usual podcast, but I think we made it work. We used Skype. And so in the future, I might start to do some more episodes um, using the phone, not only for safety, but I think the the season three proved that, that it's doable. I'd always kind of been wary about using Skype or using phone calls to do an episode, but it seemed to be okay. So I've actually... Got some exciting guests lined up for season four, which I'll share with you later. So that put a big dent on the podcast. And then, like many people, um, and I, I never like to call myself creative, but I, I guess you could put me in that category. Like many creative people that I spoke to, the pandemic, not for everyone, but the pandemic and the lockdown seemed to put um, a big, kind of took the window of a lot of people's sales. And it, and it makes sense. You're not really in a creative headspace when you're just trying to figure out from one day to the next what's going on in the world and what's happening with your own situation and I, and I was no different to anyone else so when it came to comedy I, I didn't do any shows for a long time it took me quite a while maybe longer than most comedians in town to kind of get back on stage just because I don't know like I just felt like the wind had been taken out of my sails I didn't have the energy for, for doing podcasts um, but everything's slowly coming back now I've been, been on stage now for a few months the shows are coming back We've had a lo- another kind of mini, mini shutdown of bars, so we didn't have any shows in the last month, but they're coming back up as well. So I'm excited to do that too. And then just to add um, even more insult to injury, if you want to call it that, if you can hear my voice is a bit raspy, I have, um, I have something on my vocal cords called nodules, which are quite common in singers and teachers and, and people who use their voice a lot. And as you can imagine, someone who has their own podcast, they like to talk. Um, so I do talk a lot, but also I had a, I had a sales job about 10 years ago when I, I was doing street fundraising and so I was talking over traffic, talking all day from morning to night um, and it started 10 years ago and it's now just come back in the last few weeks. So um, that kind of, in, it kind of interrupts me speaking, <laughs> so I have to rest my voice quite a lot. So hopefully I'll get through this first episode, but if you can hear it's a bit raspy, that's why. Um, so I have to kind of manage manage that, but I'm excited for season four. We're finally here. We'll aim to have an episode out every single week, and I'm excited for my first guest today. So my first guest um, is a fellow comedian. That's how I know him. His name's Devin Gray. He's from South Africa, born and fled, as he likes to say. Um, and I'd say, and for my money, he's one of the funniest comedians in Saigon. Um, really quiet, unassuming guy. And then when he gets on stage, he just makes you laugh so hard. So I'm excited to have a chat with him today, find out a bit more about him. And as always, it's about stories. Seven Million Bites is about stories. So we're going to talk to him about how he ended up in Saigon, what he does here, what life is like here. And we'll talk a little bit about comedy, but it won't be the focus of it as well. So thanks for listening to me. Thanks for listening again to Seven Million Bites. I really do appreciate it when we get feedback, when I see the amount of people that listen from all over the world as well. Um, It's really exciting. And I think it's mostly exciting sharing people's stories because everyone, you know, everybody has a story to tell. Um, and one of the most rewarding things about this is just sitting down with someone and finding out a bit more about them. So I hope you enjoy that as well. As I said, please leave a review if you can um, on Facebook or Apple Podcasts. Subscribe as well if you're wherever you're listening from, Spotify or Google. 
um, and enjoy the show. So thanks very much. Cheers. Welcome to 7 Million Bikes, a Saigon podcast. This is the long-delayed season four, episode two. I'm glad to be back. And my guest today is, as I mentioned in the intro, one of the funniest comedians in Saigon, a good friend of mine. I want to welcome Devin Gray. How's it going? Very good. Yeah. yeah. This is my first ever podcast. And you don't listen to podcasts, you just don't listen to podcasts. I listen to the sound of the world. That's what I listen, I listen to the world. What is the sound of the world? In Saigon, it's bikes. That's pretty much all it is. And there's seven million of them at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I know, right? At the same time. Well, this question comes up, I see it on Facebook, things like that. I think I've maybe asked this question before, but I'll ask it now. What is the sound of Saigon, apart from bikes? What are the sounds of Saigon? They should make a song. The sound of Saigon. Be, I'd, I'd watch, I'd listen to that. That's good. Well, see, this is you've shown that you don't listen to podcasts and you don't listen to my podcast. Yeah. You have to listen to my podcast and listen to the intro, which was made by Lewis Bright and is the sounds of Saigon. So it's like a bike, it's Bop Saudi, it's honking, yeah. it's everything all put into one. Yeah, it would over be a beat. It would be, in my opinion, it would be chickens. Chickens as yeah. well. Yeah. When I stand on my balcony, I can hear chickens and animal abuse, which is a bad one, but I can hear it. Yeah, yeah. Chickens though, that's the, I don't know what they have chickens for, people, everyone has a chicken. Like, I don't have a chicken, but people have chickens. Well, have you seen like Central Park in Vinhomes, or even most buildings will say like, you cannot graze cattle here, you cannot bring livestock into the park. Like they have to make a rule for you mean, it. like on the grass? On the grass. Which means like, if you have to make a rule for it, it means that people would do it. Yeah, it's right by the river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a good Sunday. Like, I just take my cattle to Vinhome Central Park. I stop for about me. I uh, go to Starbucks. And all while, my cattle is busy being fit. Yeah. <laughs> two for one. Yeah. Two for one. <laughs> but there's a rule, so it's okay. It can't happen. Can't happen. I would like to see that, though. I don't know about cattle. I've never seen cattle inside. I've seen, I've seen some cool things. I've been on my motorbike driving through Saigon, and I stopped at a traffic light. And I looked to the left of me, and there was a guy. He had a, an oven mitten. Not a, not a bird of prey glove. An oven mitten with a hawk just, like, sitting on his arm. I was like, how is this possible? How is it not taken you, flown off the bike, grabbed a little child? No, just a hawk and an oven mitten. That's all you need. That's all you need in Saigon. I have seen birds of prey on people's arms on bikes. I don't think I've seen the oven mitten, though. <laughs> it was definitely an oven mitten. Like, when I went to, when I go to, like, the, the bird of prey place in South Africa, you can, you can hold the birds, and they give you, like, a really heavy leather. You can't drive a bike with that. There's no way. You can barely hold the bird. <laughs> it's very difficult. The strangest thing I saw, I saw recently, you just reminded me about this, this was a couple of months ago. We were pulling out onto the highway here in D2, and on the corner, right on the corner when you come out of D2 and on the highway, there was a guy with a horse just sitting there. Just chilling. Like a white guy with a beer, an older guy, and just a horse just chilling. And I was like, we were in a taxi and I was like, I was trying to get a picture, but I couldn't get my phone quick enough. And I was like, what is going on? Why is there a guy on the street corner just chilling with a beer and a horse? Yeah, why was it a white guy? That's another thing. Like... I, I, can, I, I can get to a point where you go, oh, it's a cultural thing. That guy has a horse. 
Yeah, that's, like, why, they, that's why I brought it up. Because if it was like a local guy, I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah he's, he's just... He's got a horse. Yeah. I wouldn't have really thought too much of it. What was that guy doing with the horse? Yeah. That's the question. Like, where are you selling this horse, man? And why don't you have your own money from your own country? What are you doing? <laughs> so it was, it was, that was a bit, but it was just the fact he was casually having a beer as well. He's chilling. Yeah. Maybe the petting zoo or, or something. Sit, you don't really hear about these things. Sitting on the side of the road, like one of those little plastic chairs, just chilling with the horse and a beer. Maybe that's his mode of transport. Maybe if I stuck around, he was going to get on it and <laughs> go down the Hanoi Highway. Yeah. Well... Was it like a, a mini horse or like? No, no, like a proper full. Like a, were you close to a racetrack? No, like right in D two. D two, that's madness. I mean, that's not like you would see that. Like someone would see that and be like, well, "Why do you have that?" You'll never know. No, that's I'll, a frustrating thing. You'll never, like, I'll never know the answer. I'll to never this. know. This is something that I will never know. That's madness. Well, I was just I was looking at the old podcasts. Um, and one of the questions I asked, which I won't be asking you at the end of this episode, but I'll ask you anyway. The last season, at the end of every episode, I asked, what's the strangest thing you've seen on a bike here? It was the hawk. The hawk? It was yeah. definitely the hawk. Like, I've seen some things where I've gone, oh, that's, that's too much. But the hawk was, it was baffling. I was just like, I don't understand. It does not compute. I've got a 404 error in my mind. just like, I don't know. I did not found. I don't know what's happening here. Just life in Saigon, isn't it? Yeah, I've seen some cool things on a bicycle. Go on. There's a restaurant close to where I live, there, and they've got next to the restaurant. There's a little soup place that sells like soup and noodles and stuff. And this guy comes on his bicycle and he's got like two trays, and then he fills up the trays with soup and noodles, and then he just drives off no hands, and delivers soup and noodles, and then he gets back. And he hangs out for like 10 minutes. Then he goes away and he comes back with empty bowls of super noodles. <laughs> just empty bowls that he then cleans and, and re-super noodles them. I've seen that. It's mentally. He's driving a bike and balancing a tree yeah. with a full bowl of In full liquid traffic. soup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if, when I was a waiter like a long time ago, I could barely take one dish from the counter to the table without making something yeah. wrong. This guy had like a balancing act of soup and noodles. He looked like he was on America's Got Talent. <laughs> yeah. Like one of the semi-finalists. It's like I feel like you should be in Cirque du Soleil or yeah. your, your talents are wasting. Soup du Soleil. Soup du Soleil. <laughs> soup du Soleil. <laughs> so uh, you are, obviously we can already tell you're a, you're a comedian like myself. I don't know. If, I don't know. Can oh. you call yourself that? I don't know. No, like, what a, do you call yourself? I'm a part-time humorist. Part-time humorist. Part-time humorist. First, full, full-time full digital nomad, part-time humorist, part-time human being. <laughs> Just a part-time human being. Part-time human being. Most of the time, not. <laughs> like, what are you doing when you're sleeping? You don't know. Like, I'm part-time human. When I'm awake, I can be a human. When I'm asleep, I have no idea. So you're from South Africa. Your, your comedian bio says born and fled. I've always wanted to know what do you mean by that? Born yeah. and fled South born Africa. And fled. South Africa is the most beautiful country that I do not want to live in. It's, if, have you been? No. Okay. Love to go. Be careful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so South Africa is a beautiful place. It's, very, it's got such amazing scenery. It's got amazing like, coastline, amazing mountains, amazing everything, food. Uh, the culture is great. But it's dangerous. It's just so dangerous that you can't even... You can't even go outside. 
that bad. It's so bad. Yeah. So, like, if you know what you're doing, you can do. You can get away with it. But even people that know what they're doing, it's just it. You always have that that fear when you go outside. Like, especially for women, it's horrible because a man can kind of go outside and he'll just get teased and bullied or robbed or whatever. But women will go outside and she'll be targeted and attacked on purpose just because she's out past 9 p.m. Like, in what world does that make sense? And I understand it happens everywhere in the world, but in South Africa, the rates are really high between like your crime, your petty crime is really high, your violent crime is really high, your uh, rapes are really high, which is, in my opinion, why would you stay there? No matter how beautiful it is, like stay there. Well, when I was, uh, as I mentioned, my voice is messed up because I used to do face-to-face fundraising, but, and one of the best things about that was I met so many people. I remember I was working in Western Australia and I got chatting to these guys from South Africa. And the stuff they told me is it was just like horrifying, like home invasions. Yeah. They were telling me that um, what they would do is set CD discs alight with a lighter and then they can slip the CD disc under the door and the fumes will knock you out. So you'd be having like friends over and then they woke up like with people raiding their house and he, his friend got shot in the stomach like next to him on his couch. Like Yeah, it's dark. Yeah, like bad, bad stuff and he was... Yeah, he's like wanting to be, he was so happy to be in Australia. He, he's like, it's bad. It's so, so bad. Yeah, it's bad. In Saigon, you can walk around with your bag open and no one's going to pickpocket you. South Africa, it's gone. They're, like even the little candies at the bottom of your bag, gone. Like they'll take everything. So, I mean, the obvious question is, so why is it like that? And that's probably a lot to unpack, but you know. It, yeah, it's, it boils down to two things. Number one, the staff, like the police staff, the law enforcement, law enforcement all the way from your average police officer up to your like crime scene investigators, up to the courtroom, up to everywhere, is underpaid. They don't get paid enough. So if they want to make money, they have to do like bribes, corruption, all of these things. We were Which, just talking about this yesterday with somebody. I mean, we obviously know there's high levels of corruption in Vietnam and like many other countries, but the number one reason is because they're underpaid, right? Yeah, so. uh, you're not going to want money if you being paid money you're going to mm-hmm. do the moral thing people are only like immoral like I, I like to believe people are fundamentally good right no one wants to do the bad thing but you push them in a, the a right fine position line, right? Yeah. Like, you push them enough and they're like hey I can I can get away with this and it's more lucrative um, I think flexible morals is a big thing in society people always say I would never do that and then they do that um, so I'm not going to say I would never accept a bribe because I might. Like, it's possible. The second part is that South Africa went through a very rough time with racism in the past. And it's still, like, super racist now. So the idea of crime in South Africa is not necessarily, like, I have to commit a crime to live. It's that people are angry. They're outraged. They're not getting the same opportunities. They're not getting the same, uh, what's the word, the same treatment. They're not getting held to the same standard as a lot of people, and they have to turn to crime. So what would you do in, in a situation where you live your whole life and you're just being belittled and made fun of and, and treated like you're less? You would, number one, turn to drugs because it'll make you feel good. And number two, you crime, right? Because 
what else were you gonna do? You just this guy hates me anyway. I may as well rob him. Yeah. So the the racism is a huge thing, and the equal opportunity is a bigger thing. So what year did apartheid end? Ninety four. Ninety four, right? And so that's twenty six years ago. A- end is a strong word. Okay, what <laughs> what year did it officially? Yeah, what year was it on paper? Ninety four. Yeah, and then so what's What's not changed in 26 years? Why is it still such disparity? Is it is it is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Like I mean, so I don't know because I, I don't know much about South Africa. It's the mindset, right? Like for example, my family is not like this, but there are families out there that they they were like pro apartheid. They were very apartheid is the best thing that's ever happened, and we're going to continue with this. And when it ended. People were like, some people were upset. And I would say the majority of like white individuals, they were upset. There were obviously a lot of people that were like, this is the best thing ever. But there were a lot of people that were like super upset. And those people are raising children. And those children are being taught how to treat people badly. So they're still being taught the same apartheid patterns without having an apartheid, which is so bad. Like there's no, there's no one saying, this is how we do right things. We're still learning the same things in school. We're still learning the same languages. We're still learning the same structure. We're still doing the same things over and over again. We've added in a few things called uh, like life orientation where we learn about HIV and sexual reproduction and all those things. But still, it's super like targeted towards, uh, I want to say, white people are better, black people are not. And it's just, it's an old system. The system has always been old it's never going to change all those structures are all almost unchanged or are not changed much in yeah. terms of like you mentioned opportunities jobs exactly things like that so you can most crime comes from i believe like economic circumstances right it's yeah circumstantial yeah absolutely but you could have you could have like the best teacher in the world like trying to teach you racist things you're going to be racist it doesn't matter like if that teacher is the most empathetic most like supportive person for race whatever they're teaching you the things that are still in those books you're gonna turn out racist and it's not like it's not racist as in like white people are better black people it's racist as in we are different and that's that's the thing that's, that's, like that's, I've never really had that point of view yeah it's like that's like an old school like exactly type of racism it's like if you like it's South like with different races Lois Ogola's got that joke he says yeah we have like the good racism in Africa like we got the good stuff like you want racism we got you think you have racism in the rest of the world South Africa because it it comes down to like even zoning issues like where people live it's everything that you learn in school is that these people live here these people live here these people live here these people eat this these people do this these, and it forms in your brain how you interact with people so you would start thinking because you've been told this person is different to me because of this and like we're all integrated we're we're all working together we're all growing up in the same schools but our schools are segregated white kids hang out with white kids black kids hang out with black kids there are um, there are obviously exceptions to the rule where people just kind of they go this is bullshit and they move on but the majority of it and especially your poorer schools they're still getting that and they're like it's all based on where you lived before apartheid. How was your family doing before it ended? How did how did your family handle that? And you, because I mean, it's only twenty six years. There's only one real generation that's been 
going through. So obviously it will take some time to get those, let those people die off. But they're teaching their children that. Then they teach their children that. And they go to school and they learn the same thing. There's been no like radical change. The same in, in America. It's like you can say, this is bad. Yeah, we, we agree, it's bad. Everyone agrees, it's bad. What are we going to do? Oh, well, we can't really change much. It's like, that's the point. You have to literally go back to the textbooks, to the, the literature that you're telling people. Hey, look, this here is bad because it generates a gap between these people. And then once you've bridged that gap with teaching the right history, then you go. Like we, we were told in school that Nelson Mandela and the rest of the world was told Nelson Mandela, best guy ever, best person ever. But there are so many other freedom fighters that did a lot more than he did that just don't get the recognition that they deserve. Like if I tell you Nelson Mandela, you immediately know who that is, right? But if I tell you Steve Biko, you're like, is he the guy that got kicked off the bus? You don't immediately know who Steve Biko is. And he was a huge political figure. Okay. I see you shaking your head. <laughs> Steve, no, I've never heard this thing. Steve Biko was uh, exactly the same as Nelson Mandela. And he, he made a protest because he got kicked off a bus. Like he went and sat in the wrong seat. And the bus driver was like, no, get out. And it was like a big thing. But people don't know that. The whole world doesn't know that. They only know there was a guy who was in prison. He came out of prison. He became the president. He was the first black president. Wow. Amazing. He did nothing. He sat in prison for 27 years. I'm not saying that he, his efforts weren't done. But there were so many others. Like thousands. If not tens of thousands that were also fighting for the same cause but they don't get that recognition it's kind of like the old apartheid government said we'll choose this guy and he'll be the face and now look we're all friends but we're not going to recognize the other people it's the same thing in america it's like we're teaching this history right because this guy martin luther king or whatever he's the he's the hero he helped look at him but there were so many and until you get to the point where we're teaching people like the struggle of the world and actually putting it into the, the minds of the kids, they're never going to understand. They're going to be like, I know Nelson Mandela. I'm not a racist. Like, okay, cool. Fine. <laughs> Probably why I left as well. Like the mentality of people is always, we are different. I make more money. Look how much money I make. I'm cool. And you're like, fuck off, bro. I don't know if you're allowed to swear on this. I, I try not to swear, but you're allowed to. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting. History, um, obviously, is, is is like that. And I remember kind of as I grew up and then realizing that phrase, you know, history is written by the winners. And then realizing yeah. that your history is subjective, right? It's just what we're taught. Yeah. And I have a really good friend from South Africa. Um, hello, Jill. And she, I think it was you that told me, Jill, that... Um, in South Africa, they have a totally different viewpoint of Winston Churchill than what they do in the UK. Because in the UK, Winston Churchill is like this hero he won World War II. Yeah. And in South Africa, he's known as this butcher, what is it, with the Boer Wars, was it? Or? Yeah, so we kind of learn, we kind of learn that, we don't learn that he's like a hero. Yeah. Like, we learn about him, and it, it's not even a focus. It's like, he's the guy, he's a guy that exists. And he, 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 he oversaw the, oversaw the Boer Wars, was it? That included, like, a slaughter of 
You see, I wish I could tell you. You don't even know. See, we'll exactly. need to find this out. But I think if I remember rightly, so he's obviously known as a war hero in the UK or one World yeah. War Two. But another nation thinks him as a complete animal, and I'm sure there's yeah truths in there as well. You know, well, it's chaos to the fly is you know normal to the spider. The fly is kind of there's like ah, I'm, this is the worst thing I've ever seen, but the spider's like yeah, it's whatever. It's all about how you come to it. Like even when Christopher Columbus, he discovered America the people that were on the island they were like whoa we've been here man like what do you you discovered nothing you just came here so the same way that he he was the guy who wrote the book and he was like or his probably not him himself but his like part of his side of the story was the one that made it to the real world so people are like oh okay that's clearly how it is because look how old this book is but the people that he removed from the wherever he landed, they didn't have books. They didn't like if they did, they would have been like some dude came here, and like he thought that he showed us a book. We've got books. Leave us alone. The one that gets me the most is Australia because I've traveled all over Australia um, and the Aboriginal culture. Like Aboriginals have been there. The first people of Australia have been there for forty thousand years, the longest continual civilization yeah. on the planet. But apparently, like, it was terra nullis when the British showed up and there was an empty land yeah. and, and they, they were treated as they were treated as fauna up until, like, the 60s. Yeah, so like you could be able to free space. Aboriginal people without uh, reproach. So, yeah, history is always written by the winners, right? And we could go on many, many examples. Yeah. So when did you leave South Africa? 24. I was 24, not the year 2024. <laughs> uh, like, that would have been in the future. <laughs> Uh, but see, this is general. I was thinking in the past. Yeah, I, I was thinking twenty nineteen twenty four. <laughs> yeah, that would have been way in the past. I would have discovered Saigon. I just need a book. I could have written it down. Uh, so no, three years. You're twenty seven now, right? Yeah, three years ago. I've been here three years. I enjoyed here much better. I I never told anyone I was leaving. I just got on a plane, said I'm going for two weeks in Saigon. I'll be back. Two weeks? Yeah, I was like, here's my flights, two weeks, and I got here, and I just never took the flight back. So you, you did come with the intention of being here for just two weeks? You had to. So when you, when you come in, maybe not now so much, but then you had to have a return ticket, otherwise you couldn't get the stamp. So I was like, ah, two weeks, no problem. I got the stamp, I got here, and then I just never went back. It's very easy to just get a new stamp. Like, as long as you have gainful employment, you're fine. Have you been back since to visit? Yeah, I went for my mom's wedding, and I hated it. I hated every... Like, no one else is going to understand this but South African people. When you land at the airport in Saigon, you go outside, it's chaos, right? There's just thousands of people. But no one's asking you for change. That's what I... I got there day one, I was standing outside, and someone was like, hey man, you got some change? I'm like, I need to go back. Like, I'm not giving you change, I've just got you. <laughs> like, what... I don't even, I haven't even changed my money into rands yet. Like, how am I supposed to get like five thousand dollars? You'd be like, oh, yeah, what oh, is five, this? Five. I did that when I went home. I gave my um, friends' kids like thousands of dollars. Yeah, like just, they, they were so excited. I was like, here's ten thousand dollars. Oh my god, ten thousand. Yeah, that's so much. <laughs> I did the dad. I was like, it's like thirty pence. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> ten. Yeah, give him five thousand. I wouldn't give him five five hundred thousand. That's a lot. I give five. Five thousand. That yeah. would seem like a lot, yeah. right? How you much don't is know. This this is like two. This is like twenty dollars, man. Take yeah, it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
but no, I didn't enjoy it. I, I didn't like the weather. I didn't like the... Uh, I liked seeing my friends. I have a lot of friends that I really love and enjoy. But I would... Like, they're not reason enough to stay. My friends in Saigon are not reason enough to stay in Saigon. Like, I, I'm, I'm a nomad. I need to move. Um, but yeah, I like it here. So what does keep you in Saigon? What do you like about it? Freedom. I want to be able to cross the street... At any point in the street, I don't want to have to walk to a little like paint on the road. I want to go, like I need to go there. I'm crossing the street. It doesn't no one cares? Have you ever crossed the highway? Yeah, no problem. You have no problem. It blows my mind when I'm driving home. Six lane highway, people going 60, 70 miles per hour, and a bunch of school kids just crossing yeah, the road. They won't like, hit you. What is That's going? The, and they never get hit, right? But it's like imagine there's so many things you see in Vietnam. Like for example, a kid on a bike without a helmet. My first year here, every time I saw that, my mind would explode. I don't even notice it anymore because it's just yeah. so normal. You put yourself back in the UK or South Africa and you Jail. saw a child Jail. on a bike <laughs> without a helmet, you would, like, your mind would explode. You'd be calling the police papers, everyone. You'd be like, wow. Yeah. If you saw six kids walk across the highway, you would stop your car. You'd be like, what are you doing here? Oh. Yeah, there's a lot of things you would go to jail for. <laughs> in the western world that you just kind of get away with here and when I say jail I mean like jail for a long time mm. like oh I mean one of the most common things that I've taught in public schools you see guys peeing against the school that would be you'd be on the sex offenders list yeah. in the UK not just jail your life would be ruined you'd probably be on the sex offenders list yeah. for life now these guys aren't doing anything sexual they're just having a piss hugely inappropriate yeah but they shouldn't be doing it, but they probably shouldn't be on the sex offenders list either. But still, it's the, the differences are yeah. stark. What, what's that movie? You can't, put, you can't put a preschool, a playground behind a bar. That's entrapment. <laughs> what movie is that? Oh, is that um, Horrible Bosses? Horrible Bosses, yeah. yeah. So that's a good example. He gets put on the sex offenders list for uh, having a pee in a schoolyard, right? Uh, yeah. Um, the one cool thing I did see, I was on Boy Vane, like when I first arrived here, and my mate was... He was like really into smoking his his herbs, and he was like, "Yeah, you can just do it on the street, no problem." And he was sitting there, and the police came, and I was like, "Oh my god, we're going to jail, man! Like you're in a foreign country." He's like, "No, don't worry." The policeman came, looked at him, saw what he was smoking, and then said, hey, "You can't sit on the the road. You have to sit on the pavement. <laughs> like you got to move the like you got to be on the pavement." So he moved the chair literally a meter, and the policeman just drove off. I was like, "This is madness, man." How is that? He was in uniform. He had a stick and everything. He had a, he was, like, this, is, this is intense. Like, we, we are literally alone here. Could you imagine going to jail here? You have no idea what to do. Because there's no rules. There's no law. I mean, there is a law. You should, you should definitely follow the law. There actually is. And, and, and I've joked, I made a joke about this on stage before. I've got a friend who's a lawyer. And I was like, how can you be a lawyer in a country with no laws? But that's our, like, stupid Western point of view. I mean, I'm not really, I'm sure you're not either really breaking any substantial no. laws. So we're not really, like, involved. It's small things like you can have a beer in the street and not get in trouble. Yeah, cross you the road. Cross the road. Small things like that that you don't need to worry about. But actually, talking about someone this recently, the, the laws in Vietnam are pretty strong and, and they're upheld and there's a court system and there's, like, you don't want to be, it's not like, um, Maybe like some other Southeast Asian countries. From what I've heard, but it's kind of like... Yeah, I think it's organized. It's just difficult. Organized, yes. Yeah, it's organized chaos. Like, if your bike gets taken, 
Like, you can find it. No one's going to steal your bike. We're just moving it away from you. Like, in other countries, you, you lose your bike, you'll never see it again. Like, in South Africa, the police take your bike, goodbye. Like, you'll never see that bike again. Here, it's organized chaos. I think if you did, like, a real crime, there would be... They, number one, they'd be way better than South African police at this, like, solving the crime. And you, you wouldn't get away with real crime. So we'll move on then. So you left South Africa three years ago. So you're a, a digital nomad. And I've, I've, my very first season I interviewed a digital, digital nomad, Greg Lee. And we talked about as the, uh, you know, the romanticism or the, the picture perfect of you're on the beach doing your digital yeah. nomadness. No. When the reality is completely different. So that's kind of like, you know, I think most people are aware of that. There's, there's not many digital nomads in a hammock with a coconut. Just you will never see me on the beach with my laptop. <laughs> like, you'll get sand in it. Yeah, yeah, right. It's completely and impractical. It's the word, there's a glare. Yeah, no, right. You have, <laughs> even trying to do work by the pool, I'm like, nah, this is way too difficult. So what is it you do? What's your digital nomadness? I, uh, I code. I code things. Now, I'm going to sound like an idiot. What does that mean? I honestly don't know. I'm com- completely computer illiterate. What does that mean? Like, we build systems, websites. Like, you click a button on a website, it does a thing. We make that thing. That's what... Like what you say, I want this button to do this thing. Okay, we'll do that. I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna make myself sound really stupid. Is it like the Matrix when you see in no. code? <laughs> not like the code actually does something. Else. Do you see in code? Do you dream in code? Uh, not in ones and zeros like you're thinking. <laughs> you're thinking ones and zeros, right? I'm more thinking about the Matrix, which is a whole bunch of green symbols. It's, no, it's ones and zeros. <laughs> yeah, it's just one and zero, right, one and zero. Right, right, right. Um, no, code isn't like that anymore. Code is actually quite fluid at the moment. You can pretty much write in English. You just need to understand the syntax. Mm-hmm. So every programming language has its own syntax, but it's all like English-based. So you would use like, you would use things like classes and uh, interfaces, and these things all help you that you can, you can build code with them. But it's all English. So there's no, there's no one's- You've lost me already. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, it, people ask like, hey, that sounds like so much fun. Yeah, sure. Well, I didn't say that. Yeah, <laughs> and you can try and explain it as much as you want, and people are like, I just don't get it. Like, you, why would you? Why do you care? You do, do you, you enjoy care? doing it? I like it. It's like meditating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can just focus on one thing. You you do that. You, you get it right. I don't want to. I don't want people to be like, Whoa, you're so cool. You can do this because, I, firstly, don't watch me. Like, live your life. Be your own man. I'm trying to work. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't want. I don't like it. Like I when people are like, can you tell me what this is? I'm like, you're not gonna understand it. But there's no point. There's no point in telling you because yeah. you're gonna say, but where do the ones and zeros come from? <laughs> there's no ones and zeros. <laughs> I mean, I switched off pretty quickly once you started yeah. explaining it. So, uh, yeah, exactly. Let's move on. So um, you're a comedian, obviously. How did you get into comedy then? Well, so we talked about earlier, and then we skipped ahead. Do you call yourself a comedian? No. Because I don't. I find it like I feel like that's too official to call myself a comedian. Yeah. I'm just someone who does comedy. Yeah, you need to make money off of it to be a comedian. Yeah, like we don't make money here. Also, I don't do it enough to be a comedian. I enjoy doing it. Yeah, I like having fun with it. But here in Saigon, there's not enough. I, there's enough gigs. I want to say there's enough gigs. Angie and uh, everyone's doing like super good gigs. But there's not enough consistency in the gigs. Like you can have a gig one night with 50 people, or you can have the same gig the next week with two people there's no consistency I don't think I've been a gig with 50 people you've never been a gig with 50 people 
the one at uh, Beth Vert was the international. Oh, well, yeah, the comedy was that was like 50 people, that was about 200 people. Yeah, it was big. Yeah, that was big. Yeah, so you can you can do like good shows or you can do bad shows, and also the venues in Saigon they're not designed for entertainment, mm. so people like they're designed for eating, they're very practical. Like, you come in, you eat your food, you go, you like don't, don't waste time. So there's no venues that are built that have like a stage and unless you go to the Hard Rock Cafe, but who goes to the Hard Rock Cafe? No, like anyone who goes to the Hard Rock Cafe is just here for like one night. They're not here to experience. I think, I feel like now that there's no tourism that the Hard Rock Cafe is becoming a bit more accessible because there's only local people. Yeah. So I think they're starting now to do Allow. more kind of shows that are, are going to attract people who live here rather than just the, the one night tourists you know like yeah because what is the hard rock it's more like cover band right like they'll do I think a, generally before the lockdown and stuff yeah. it was I've never yeah. been no I've never been there, but I, I like we can get nachos anyway you don't yeah. need to go to the hard rock <laughs> but it's a common thing and, and I've also interviewed before Damien Kilroy who used to run Cargo Bar who now runs Cargo Moine and puts on a Coracle Festival hope I got that one right and we talked about that, the lack of venues is just really difficult here in Saigon and it's probably not going to change because there's no, there's just no space to, to build a, a mid-sized venue, like 2,000 people. And the space that there is, is too expensive to, to make it worthwhile building yeah. a venue because they're not going to make the money back on it. So it's a real shame. So it, it really doesn't seem like Saigon for such a big bustling cosmopolitan metropolitan city is probably not going to have any kind of good live music venue space for a long time it's also a different type of uh, entertainment like if you think about how many people live here a very small fraction of people want that type of entertainment do you mean live music or comedy live music comedy most of the time like Vietnamese people their entertainment is we eat we sing karaoke Mm. we go home yeah we drink until we pass out and we go home like they don't want to sit and watch people like your younger generation sure but I've never seen Vietnamese older than 45 come to a comedy show and enjoy it I've seen them in the comedy shows I've seen them I've seen us build comedy shows around them and they did not enjoy it but it's because their idea of entertainment is karaoke it's not Mm. watching someone talk about their life like who are you I don't care I'm really I'm I'm really amazed at what Wee Nguyen's doing and I hope I'm going to get him on a future episode with the Vietnamese comedy now, like that's just like taken off. So, talk, I can keep talking about previous episodes, but two came on and we talked about how difficult it was to do comedy in Vietnamese just because the language doesn't, doesn't lend itself to it. You can't do double entendre, you can't, she's, there's just some things that you that you would say in English that would be funny that you say in Vietnamese and it's like, it's just, doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But apparently, the last time I spoke to Wee, they're just killing it. They've got a gig at the Hard Rock Cafe, it might have been already. YouTube videos are getting like hundreds of thousands of views, massive shows, shows yeah. are getting bigger and bigger, and doing Vietnamese comedy. So I'm really excited, even though I have no idea, I haven't even seen it because I won't understand it, but yeah. it's so cool to see something new and fresh and exciting yeah, spring out exciting. of traditional English spoken language. Yeah, they should have done it a lot sooner, to be honest. I think it's just too difficult. I think he had to master the English comedy, along with like Wee Lay and... Yeah. And um, I've forgotten his name off the top of my head now. I think then now they've not mastered it, but they've gotten so good at English comedy, now they can start to develop. To try it. Mm. So what got you into comedy then? You did it back in South Africa, right? You were on Comedy Central in South Africa? Yeah, three times. Three times? That's pretty cool. I, That's uh, more than pretty cool. That's awesome. I did uh, I did the high school talent show when I was in high school. Right. And I was like, I need to do this again. 
and that was that. You got a buzz from it? Yeah, just keep doing it forever and ever. Had you, it's always the thing, had you been the funny guy or had you no jokes? Yeah. I find the people that are the funny guy. So you find someone that's like, you would be such a good comedian. They always suck. It's like the funny guy is not, the guy who's like looking at the things and understanding things and then making it funny. That's the funny guy. The guy who's funny in the conversation. Uh, yeah, one of my uh, best compliments had a friend come up to me. I've been doing comedy six months, a year or something. And he's like, "Hey, how'd you doing comedy?" And I was like, "Yeah." yeah. And he's like, so "Like, I'm no offense, but like, I wouldn't have put you as like somebody who does comedy. Like, I like really like you're a nice guy, but I didn't think of you as like a comedian." He's like, "I heard you're killing it. I heard you're like really yeah. funny." And I was like, "Oh, cool. Thanks very much." Yeah, yeah, just the guy that's at the at the like barbecue that's making all his friends laugh. It's a different scenario, right? Like you, like. Your friends have context, firstly. So you see like a dove, and you're like, ah, oh, that dove, and you say something funny about the dove. They, everyone saw the dove. But now when you're on stage, you have to provide context. So you say something funny about the dove, everyone goes, what, what dove? <laughs> so you have to give the context, you have to build the story, you have to put the room together. M- much more difficult. So yeah, I've never, I was never the funny guy, I was always the quiet, stay in the back, don't, don't bother me. And then a lot of people were like, I would never have thought that you would do stand-up. So what, how did you do it then? What led you to do that then? I've always enjoyed the first it, thing? yeah. No, I always enjoyed it. watching it. Yeah, I liked, uh, I liked watching Jimmy Carr, uh, Eddie Murphy. I was always into it. So I, when the school said, you have to do something for the talent show. <laughs> you have to? Yeah. No, you, you can enter, you have to. Everyone had to participate. <laughs> some, of the, some of the acts must have been terrible. Yeah, some of the acts were like 100 people because they all wanted to do it as a group. And you're like, okay, I don't, I didn't like anyone in my school, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this by myself. And uh, yeah, it wasn't great, but I liked it. I enjoyed doing it, which is a good thing. It was your first time, you know, expecting it to be, to be great. So then what? Then then what led? What led you to? How did you get the opportunity to keep doing it? How did you end up on Comedy Central? So South Africa's comedy scene is quite great. Like, there's a lot of really good comedians. Uh, and it's small as well, so you get to you get to rub shoulders with some of the greatest comics, like in South Africa. So there's a uh, Lois Ogola, number one. He's my favorite, um, and he's like always on the open mic nights. He's always hosting or trying out new material, doing things. So you kind of like get into the scene quite quickly. I started at the comedy club in Johannesburg called Parker's Comedy and Jive, which is a cool, like a really cool club. And then when I moved to Cape Town, I made really good friends with the Cape Town Comedy Club, <clears throat> the owner of that, and uh, the manager for Cape Town Comedy Club was kind of like putting on all these different events. So I was working with her a lot, and Comedy Central went through them. So just kind of connections, which is quite nice. Um, but yeah, obviously just doing open mics, uh, starting to get paid, being friendly, one of the things. Like, there's a lot of bad blood in comedy. People hate each other. I don't know why. Like, we're all a joke. Like, you just move on. The best, not the best, but a really good piece of advice that Lars Callio gave me, again, previous guest, and you, you met Lars as well, right? Was he said, uh, it was at a workshop that we all, a whole bunch of us went to, and he's like, it's not always the best comedians that get booked, it's the ones that are the easiest to work with. Yeah. If you're there on time, you're sober, you do your set, you're reliable, you'll get booked doesn't matter how funny you are, you can be the funniest guy, but if you skip shows, you turn up late, turn up drunk, yeah, like, they're just, just not going to book you because it's just like two, the people who are making the shows, who I know, I know run shows. It's well, admin. 
luckily like everyone's everyone's fine but I can see why that would be a you know the reason to not book someone is like there's too much work yeah for example if you come to the show drunk you if I was running the show and you're drunk you're not getting on the stage not a chance because number one you're taking away from the the art by just being a dumbass and number two no one's gonna find you funny you're gonna hurt yourself like don't just go do this at home like in your own time be drunk there's a lot of people in Saigon that they they're like oh bro I was so drunk and I went on stage I'm like don't do that why are you doing that? You're making everyone in the audience not come back to comedy ever again. So we've just lost however many people you have. We don't have that many people to lose. <laughs> well, it's funny you mention that because I was just thinking today, the drunkest, I think maybe the only time that I've been really drunk on stage was your show. <laughs> the one that we did at... Um, Soma. No, no, no. The one we did at the Shaven Place. What's it called again? House of Barber. House of Barber. But yeah, there were, it was only like six people. Well, yeah. And All four of them were... Four of them were people we knew so there was just that one couple yeah and they enjoyed it they came back they had a great time yeah yeah, yeah. I just talked we, we all just talked to them the whole night but I ended up I was meant to do like 20 minutes that night and I think I did like 40 yeah but that was mostly because that couple remember they just were giving us the most awkward answers we were trying to use <laughs> them to like set up a joke and they were just yeah that's the worst when someone gives you like random awkward and you're just like I want to ask more questions like who hurt you <laughs> Yeah. Well, it always brings me back to uh, Bill Hicks. I think everything in comedy, in comedy brings you back to Bill Hicks when he's trying to talk to the guy and he's like, I have pre-planned jokes, so I just yeah. need you to like... You just uh, you just listen. Yeah, and he's like trying to... My mum's like that when at comedy shows with him. She's the worst. She thinks it's like for her. So when the comedian talks yeah. to her, she's like, oh, I get to have a talk with the comedian right now. I say, like, no, no, mum, he just needs a one more dancer and then he's going to tell yeah. a joke. Like, you, just, you, you just stay where you are. <laughs> My, mom, my mom's like that as well. I remember I did like a, a really big gig and I gave her free tickets and she was like, it wasn't my, during my set, but someone was talking and they were like, so why are you here? And she was like, my son's on stage. And then she's like, he's been doing this for, the, I'm like, oh my God, shut up. <laughs> like, how, like, he's not asking, just ask why you're here. I'm coming to watch comedy. Move on with your life. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, you don't have to explain exactly. Actually, my husband, long story, tire broke down we didn't know like no one we don't have time for this we, like, we don't have time to hear this so just quickly what uh, what was it you did on Comedy Central you were there three times I did a uh, comedy roast where I roasted one of the funniest comedians uh, Kanisa Kanisa Bunu super great comic I really hope that I said her name right but super funny woman um Really nice as well, like really like really good person. So we did the comedy set roast, and then I did live at the Cape Town Comedy Club once, and then I did the uh, international comedy festival. Yeah, the Comedy Central International Comedy. Yeah, C C I F. Lots of letters, <laughs> lots of C's. There's a lot of C in it. And did you have, were you given any opportunities to, to become like a professional comedian or write scripts or do shows or, or anything like that? No, I wasn't really interested. I mean, you must have been so young. How long have you been in Saigon? Three, you, three years. Yeah. I, was, yeah, I was quite young, but I also wasn't interested. I didn't, like, I didn't want to be like a comedian. Like I had other things I was doing. I didn't want to have like, I, my job is to write jokes. That doesn't sound like a job to me. Like to some people, I'm sure it is. But I would not be able to do that. And also, the money is not very uh, stable. Like, I have dreams. 
like my dream is to have to fulfill my dreams. I don't want to be in a position where I'm like, oh, I don't have any gigs this month. Like COVID-19 would have really killed a comedian. Whereas I'm doing okay because mm. I have like a, a set dream. I saw just this week an uh, article about, you know, buskers in London. Yeah. Like literally, you know, existence, the job, yeah, purpose everything. in life has, has gone. And I think, yeah, the arts around the world is, is suffering. So it's probably a, a wise decision. So I got a question for you though. So you mentioned to me just before we started recording and we've talked about it in the past, you have like social anxiety, right? Yeah. Um, how does that marry then with being a comedian? Because like we kind of mentioned before, like the funny guy isn't always the comedian. Yeah. And I would say you're one of, one of those people where I think your offstage persona is quite different to your onstage persona in that you're quite quiet and yeah. unassuming offstage, easy to talk to. But then on stage, like, I think you're an absolute riot. Yeah, it's a different thing. So, like, the comedy the comedy persona is, like, a... <clears throat> when you start comedy, people say, find your voice. Like, you got to find a way that you say things that makes it funny. Like, you can say... Someone can say my jokes, and it won't be funny. And I can say other people's jokes, and it won't be funny. But they say the same jokes, and I say the same jokes, and it is funny. So, it's, like, the voice. What is your voice? How do you sound? And my, like, persona... It's like, there's a lot of things that go into it. It's how you look. It's uh, how, how old you are. Your age. Like, you have to play into all of those things in your comedy. So, like, it's a character that you put on. It's the same way that Leonardo DiCaprio would... Uh, I, and yes, I did say DiCaprio on purpose. I didn't even know it. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio would... Uh, he would be a specific person and then it would say, you know, action. And then he, he's a new person. The same way that an actor does that, when I go on stage, I'm a completely different, like I'm showing you, this is my comedy routine. It's not, it's not me. So you, you are putting on, you, cause I, don't, I don't think of you as putting on a character, but you think that is what you're doing, you're putting on a, yeah, a I'm comedy character? I'm definitely not as vibrant. So yeah, so if someone, like for example, when I'm on stage and someone says something, I'm immediately like, what did you say? Don't do that. And I'm very like, like you've seen it, like I'll call people out on their sexism or I'll, I'll like really make them uncomfortable, but like dig into them. But in the real world, if someone said something, and I was like, I want to say something back. I'm just not going to. It's not worth my time. But while I'm on the stage, it is. This is a different thing. So you're, you're like, I'm still me. I'm just a heightened version of me. So me that would not allow you to say these things uh, or that would ask you more questions like in real life I would never ask someone so where are you from like, I don't, don't care I really just don't care um, but in comedy it's different so I've got that like voice and it took a long time to find the voice like you have to go through I went through a deadpan phase I went through like a really dark phase and it took me a lot of time to find what fits with my character like how do I look how do I because also like think about it like this if I look 27 and I say yeah my third divorce you'd be like you've you haven't been divorced three times, let's be honest. So you have to play into your character. And you could, uh, never underestimate how smart the audience is. They pick up on the smallest thing and they'll be like, that doesn't fit, therefore this is a lie. And if they think the comedy is a lie, then... Age is growing in that. Yeah. When we, I can't remember who it was, but she's like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, you did this and you, you said this and then you said this. Mm. And then, like, think about it. And like, it, it just completely destroys that illusion of I'm telling a story, right? Like, yeah. This is... And you, even if your punchline is in there, they're still thinking, but wait, how could this... And then they don't hear the joke, mm. which is really bad. You don't want that. 
obviously, as a comedian, letting your joke be heard is the main goal to making the joke. There's no point else. So you said you didn't want to write jokes. Do you write jokes? How do you come up with them? I see something funny. Or I think something funny, I guess. Think is probably better because sometimes I see something. It's not funny, but I, I find it funny. And then I'll write the punchline. So I would be like, this is the end of the joke. This is what I'm trying to get to. And then you go, you go with the rule of three. So you have to have three like quips and then the punchline. So one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Because everybody's brain works in a pattern. So you go, this is the funny bit. This is what I'm trying to, this is where I'm aiming to go. What three small things can I do to get there? So then you go build up, build up, build up, punchline, build up, build up. And then you kind of get, you, you build a, a rhythm for the show. It doesn't have to be like an exact rhythm, but you kind of get like into uh, a small joke, a small joke, a small joke, a big joke, a small joke, a small joke, a small joke, big joke, a small joke. And everyone kind of, they go, okay, now I'm in the rhythm. I'm listening. I'm going to be listening for however long you have it. If you break the rhythm, then people go, oh, okay, I don't really know what he's talking about. But if they're in the rhythm, they're with you. They're listening. They get it. So that's how I write it. I, would I didn't do, even know that. Do the end bit and fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. So what, what's the funny part? How can I make three smaller funnies to complement this funny? And if you find a bigger funny, then you take that funny to the end. And then you say, this one is one of the smaller funnies. And so always four. The rule of, the rule of four. So you've got one, two, three, four. There you go. Anyone wanting to get into stand-up comedy? <laughs> you just got some. I've just learned something new as well. I'm going to be thinking about that now. Yeah, but you, you got to think about it. Like anything that you do in your life, your brain automatically works in a in a mm. rhythm. Like think about the bumble hair guy, uh, or Bob Sade. Bob Sade, and then you immediately wait four seconds, and you'll go Bob Sade in your mind because you've got the rhythm. Mm. Like we, everything we do is rhythm. Like breathing, rhythm. Everything is rhythm. So if you just tap into the rhythm. It works, and it sounds super like technical, but it's not, because it's it's it just makes sense. Mm. Like when I watch comedy as well, I a lot of the time I'm watching and I go, I have no idea what you're saying, because the jokes are funny, but I'm just not I'm not with you. Like you, it just sounds like you're speaking, but you got to get them in the rhythm. Yeah, that makes sense. About no, you mentioned when I watch comedians, but I'm kind of like, why am I not finding this funny, or why am I not following yeah. it? It's probably why because they're not. Yeah, kind of following any pattern or, <coughs> or rhythm. Or if you're monotone, you're very like, mm. whoa, man, I have no idea what you're doing because there's no rhythm. Yeah. Like music is rhythm. If someone came and just hit music around, you'd be like, this is... We call it jazz. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is shit. It doesn't make any sense. But once, you, once you've got like you're in the rhythm, it doesn't even have to be good music. It just has to give you the right amount of BPM, like beats mm. per minute, that you kind of go, I get this. This makes sense. You don't have to like it. You don't have to enjoy it you don't have to go on Spotify you can just listen to it but if like if you're in a cafe and you can hear music you easily just tune in with it but if you hear someone just hitting a bongo drum you'd be like who is making that noise why are they doing this so the same with comedy it's like you want to make the noise that people are in tune with they want to listen to it but you don't want to just randomly hit they'll be like why are you doing this I don't know what you're saying stop saying this and there's a lot of comics out there that they, you can just see. It's just it's word vomit that you go, oh, okay, I have no idea. 
but then look at the all the comics on the TV they've got like a structure mm. and the structure is what helps but there's other things as well like your body language all of these yeah, things. yeah, yeah. Sure. well I think at this stage then what we're going to do is we're going to finish with the, the same questions I'm going to ask everyone at the end of the show uh, I asked Francis on the episode that I put out before so first question is uh, obviously the name of the show is 7 million bytes because there are 7 million bytes in Saigon and uh we know that traffic laws here are um, <clears throat> more of a guideline. So what's an unwritten traffic rule here that you couldn't live without? Don't hit the person in front of you, and the person behind you won't hit you. That's the rule. That's the rule of the, the road. You don't hit someone in front of you, and the guy behind you won't hit you. If you're going backwards, it's your fault. Like, that's the rule. Don't, don't mess with the rule. When people come to the left, or to the right, the free reign. If they hit you, that's, that's their fault. Don't, they're not supposed to hit you. You just don't hit the guy in front of you, no matter which direction you're facing. You could be coming down the wrong way. As long as you don't hit the guy in front of you, you're good. It's crazy, isn't it? It's like, it's, I've compared it to like flowing water. It's like a river. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't understand. Like, I drive through a massive roundabout every day, and I'm like, how is this not chaos? How are there not bikes all upside down? But as long as you just focus on what's in front of you, like, you don't look left, you don't look right, maybe your peripheries, but, like... Yeah. I think I saw an article about it years ago. They call it the sphere of influence. You only worry about or the cone of influence. So if you yeah. think about the out of your eyesight, if you're looking straight forward, it's like a cone shape. Yeah, you can only control that. You just focus on that. And I learned that quickly. I think the first time I was on a bike, I like, went to check behind me. And then doing that, I nearly hit the person in front of me. Yeah. Don't focus behind you. Yeah, because they're focusing on you, right? Like, just look forward. Yeah, that's it. Also, okay. if you're looking forward and you are in an accident, your neck won't break as hard. Maybe. <laughs> like, just keep it straight. I don't want to that one. Uh, so you've been here three years. Uh, how's your Vietnamese? I can, I, I can get by. You can get by, that's yeah. impressive, that's better than... I know how to order an extra drink. Yeah. I know how to say five stars to a grab driver. Right. Yeah. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so so the next need, question man. is, uh, what's your most useful Vietnamese phrase? Mot Which is? One more drink. <laughs> <laughs> bring another one. I want to just point at the drink. Yeah. Mot and then they bring you a new one. Yeah. Sorry. No, don't need anything else. Mot Lin Ua? Mot, like one. One, yeah. Lin Nua. Alright. Mot Lin Nua. I'll take you off, bro. I was reminded again today why Vietnamese is just so difficult. I was talking to a friend, she's Vietnamese, and we are just talking about the name Bic, B I C H. And I was saying Bic, and she didn't know who I was talking about. And I was like, what else could I have been saying? And she's like, well, it's Bic. And I'm like, Bic. And I was like, this is why I can't learn, this is a name, I can't even say a yeah. name properly. How am I going to string a sentence together? Yeah, because you can say, like, pineapple is your, yeah. and coconut, your. So that's the same thing. And watermelon as well, I think. Yeah. Similar yeah. Yeah. Let's not get started. Yeah. Um, all right, what's your favorite sunset spot in Saigon? The deck. I'm, a, I'm like a, give me a, like a clean kitchen, I'm happy. I don't eat street food clean kitchen I'm not saying that street food is not clean I'm saying I'm not willing to check no it's definitely not clean but it tastes better uh, I know that a Vietnamese friend tell, tell me the, the better your food tastes the dirtier it is 
I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's probably true. Yeah, you go and get like years a bowl of, of oil. A bowl of pho from the street or Bumbo Way and it's delicious. You go and get it in like a nice restaurant. It's, it's tasteless. It's me. Yeah, I can't do it. But the deck, the deck is a, I've not been there. I've only ever been there once. I've not been there in about two or three years. It was a massive flood. We had to walk along the street knee deep to get there. And you should have just gone home. We came from home to get there. Okay. We lived in a different district. But there's no reason why I've not been back, so I should go back. Um, it's very relaxing. Yeah, I've heard it's good. It's good. Yeah, it's happier is good as well. Calm. I'm a happier kind of guy. Um, now, would you rather live in Saigon now with all the mod cons that we enjoy, or 20 years ago, you know, simpler, quieter? No, no. No international food, coffee, anything like that? No. No. I would not survive. Like, I don't like street food. I would literally die. <laughs> I would die of starvation. Oh, the question says 20 years ago, but I mean, I think that would be like seven years ago, eight years ago, nine years ago. Yeah. No craft beer, almost no international food. I don't, I, craft beer, I can take it or leave it. International food, I need it. I'm not saying Vietnamese food is bad. It's delicious. I love it. But I, like, I need a burger, man, every now and again. I need a burger. I need a pizza. I need a pasta. I need steak. I don't really eat steak, but I need the option. Do I need to be able to say I feel like a steak. Vietnamese food? Yeah, I make, I make the best... Uh, a bunzeo. Well, that's not true. There's no way you can make the best. I make the best bunzeo. <laughs> Every sure. Vietnamese person listening around is probably like, fuck that guy. Yeah. There's no way he makes the best bunzeo. That's went, one of my favorites. I went to a place. I was like, I want to learn how to make this bunzeo. And they were like, okay, cool. Do this. Taught me bunzeo from start to finish. All right, so, I'm coming to use for bunzeo. So. No problem. Let's do it. Right? <laughs> and you need to bring uh, tapioca flour. It's very difficult to find. <laughs> The Panzeo places <laughs> everywhere it can be that hard. Yeah, no, you can get Panzeo, the ready-made mix. I'm like, I want to make the flour myself. Oh, I want right. to make the, like, I do everything. <laughs> I, like, I don't want to know what's in it. All right, and the final question is, uh, what's missing from Saigon? What's missing from Saigon is the ocean. Like, it's not missing, it was never here. Yeah. <laughs> don't joke. Yeah, the ocean, man. Like, Saigon <laughs> would be a perfect city if it was coast coastal. Even closer. I wish it was closer. Yeah, it would be colder. It would be... It would be... Uh, the ocean would smell bad. Because of the fumes from the bikes. But it would be nice. Like, mm-hmm. Da Nang is really nice. It's just not Saigon. Hanoi also has the big lake. It's nice, but it's not Saigon. Mm-hmm. Saigon, we've got, like, a tiny little lake. And Vinhomes. You can go to Vinhomes. Hey, you want to see something of Vinhomes? Vinhomes is the worst place in the world. Like, I... I can't stand going in Vinhomes. But they've got the lake. Oh, we've got one in uh, D7. The lake. Oh, yeah. Crescent Mall. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's so far. Well, I think what Saigon doesn't make the most of, and I think it will eventually, is the amount of water in here. Like, when you... I was at a friend's apartment today, and we're up high, and just looking out, there's like... I didn't even realise that we were surrounded by rivers. And, yeah. And, like, what, what do you call them? Estuaries? Not estuaries. But just, we're just surrounded by water because I could see from his apartment high up. And, Stale. you know, it's mostly polluted here or it's, it's not nice. Or even, like, you know, it's just built up. It's not, there's no, not many places with a nice walkway or a deck yeah. or, like, build a park onto it. Or, so I feel like Saigon doesn't take advantage of the amount of water here. It could be so beautiful because everyone loves water being around it, being near it. I'm hoping that with the rapid development of the city, they, that will come as well, that they will develop that and start to take advantage of that. Mostly just chilling. Right, well, Biscuit's here and she's awake now. So Biscuit's been lying, sleeping quietly next to us, as she always does for the podcast. She's friends with Devin. 
Um, so we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much. So, so tell people where can they follow you, where can they see you, where can they watch you perform, how can they catch up with you? If you want to follow me, you can join my cult. <laughs> I'm joking. Instagram is where I'm active. Twitter is where I'm political. Um, political is a strong word. But Twitter is where I'm angry. Uh, as as with the rest of Twitter, I mean. I'm not on Twitter, but uh, that's what I that's what I get. When in Rome, man. When in Rome. Yeah. Instagram, or just come to like the open mics. We have lots of open mics. Uh, we do open mics at uh, Wham Bar, Lou Bar, uh, some other bars. They're on Facebook. There there will always be comedy in the world. Just go on Facebook, type in comedy. I don't really know why I'm asking you this because this is my podcast and go on my Facebook page Seven Million Bikes and you'll see all my events on there which yeah. Evan is regularly performing at and hosting so being a bit circuitous so, 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 that's not a word that's no. not that's what is it what is the word uh, there's like going in circles circuitous no that just made up a word continuous no circuitous I'm pretty sure that's not a word. I'm so, sure there might be a word similar, but it might yeah, not mean the same thing. I'll find it out and then edit it back in. So, yeah, go on the 7 Million Bikes page. Uh, obviously, you if you go on there, you'll know by now I have shows once a month at the Hop Shop in District 1, once a month at Wham, and Devin is regularly performing at those, so check that out. Awesome. And awesome. me and Devin, we're going to go and do a show right now. We're going to go and do The Strange at yeah. Angie's new bar, The House of Royalty. So check that one out as well. It's Thank you so sad. much. Was that so bad? For someone who doesn't listen to podcasts, has social anxiety, how was that? Yeah, it was, it was all right. It's hot in here. It is really hot now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to end that. All right, thanks for listening. And uh, hopefully you can listen to future episodes. Cheers, Devin. All right. hope you enjoyed this episode if you're like me you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public wi-fi this opens you up to digital snoopers it's a massive problem it can be your internet service provider or you know who looking at what you do online or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data these days it is vital that you keep your data safe NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. 
Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers. Cheers.